Welcome back, listeners, to Inside the GM Studio. It's a very special episode. As you may be able to tell, I'm doing the intro. I am David. I'm here with Matt, and I have a special guest, uh, my buddy Chris, who is one of our players and is here to kind of guest star on the episode this week, give us some insights from uh, his most recent first time out as a DM. Uh, Chris, say hello to the audience. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm Taurin, the party Yeah, if player. you don't know who Chris is by now, yeah. I suck his dick almost every week that we actually play. So, yeah, you should know his name. Then you give him some backhanded compliments, too. It's always like, man, yeah. you're great. You're fucking you're great. great. Stop Chill the fuck out, so dude. Stop worrying if you're making And I uh, may so... or may not be the person that plays the instrument, one of the instruments in the opening <laughs> music. Anyway, so this week we're going to kind of go through the regular litany, but our main topic today is really just going to be me and Matt kind of going through Chris's first impressions of his game, what went right, what went wrong. Hopefully, maybe we can help him. Perhaps our listeners have a similar experience with their first time out or some similar hangups or questions that really only come with experience. I think it's not a matter of being a good or bad GM. These are things that anybody that doesn't do this on a regular basis for i don't know what Matt, 25 years is not likely to be apprised of and and some of it's stuff that i'm sure we slip up on here and there um and and probably could just give some insights into why uh why that is and how to how to trouble shoot it uh matt do we have anything that we wanted to discuss before going into our main topic and do a community question no we, we know emails. emails we got a community question and uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to my players for my Wednesday work game. Uh, last Wednesday was one of the first time in a very, very long time that we were playing. And one of my players said, hey, we need to wrap up soon. It's getting late. And I looked down at the time and it just the whole game just blew by. We were having so much fun. And it's been a long time since I've actually had that. I'm usually a pretty good timekeeper, but I was just really in the thick of it. And I, I got to say that is a big pat on the back of any GM when you are having as much fun as the players are that nobody even realized what time it was, except for that one person that had the heart out. I get, I get eager for that. Sometimes I um, try to be conscientious because everybody makes time in their schedules. And so I feel like part of your job as a DM is to make sure that everybody's there on time and everybody can leave on time just in case. Uh, so yeah, we, we didn't get to play Strahd this week again. We had kind of another snafu. Um, I'm really hoping we can get back into a regular rotation of playing on a weekly basis. So, but yeah, I know, think, uh, adult shit gets for the, away, so. this, uh, the shadow run game, I'm really getting close to the end of this arc and I'm, now kind of trying to think of what I'm going to do for the next part. Cause it, I was originally just going to tell everyone, Hey, this one's over. We're just going to start over something new, but all the players are like, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what my character is and I'm having a lot of fun with my character. We want to keep going. So now I got to try to think of something to top this one. That's a good problem to have though, right? Your players are eager to stay invested in these characters and this narrative. And so you can turn the page on it and, change a few things here and there to shake it up but it, it's a good to me that's always a good there i go with the fucking <laughs> to me again. i'm gonna try to cut it out this week always a good indicator that 
your players are invested and eager to um, continue on with the story as opposed to kind of wiping the slate clean, trying something different usually is an indicator that they're getting kind of bored. But uh, no, that's, that's good to hear. I mean, if you have anything that we can kind of talk through that might help you with that, uh, I'm obviously game for that. I don't know much about Shadowrun, so, um, but I feel like the good elements of storytelling are kind of ecumenical. They don't really... Yeah, you really matter you as long as you know good action and a little bit of mystery noir with the the splatterings of fantasy, you you do great in Shadowrun. You want to hit a community question? Either that or hey, while we have Chris here, it's usually just you and me blowing each other or talking about the the Strahd game. I've never asked Chris how do you. Uh, so we've been playing for Jesus Christ. We've been playing this for quite a while now. And, uh, <clears throat> I know that you, Mike and Beto started before, uh, Patrick and I join, but how are you, how are you digging, uh, everything coming along so far, Chris? So obviously digging everything that the Dave is laying down and it's good to play with an experienced player players i should say but especially you being in the party um it's been nice to have some experience because me beto and mike it's nice to hear david telling us you know different things or watching videos but actually seeing another player that knows how to play the game well and knows the rules helps but i will say at this last session with my my first time dming a, a group that i'm doing now there's four of us total I even told we were talking about adding a fifth person and I had them decide I was willing to do that, but nothing more for me personally, especially online. So obviously with our situation, you know, more people, the better, you know, it's buddies, it's kind of mixing two groups. I was all down for it, but ideally as a DM, I mean, kudos to you, David, because I don't think even with some experience, I would personally do that. I think it doesn't make the game as enjoyable. Um, mm -hmm. But that being said, you know, a, a campaign like Strahd, the reason why I think it, it works great is... <laughs> more uh more soldiers the better in this war against strahd um and i don't think our party would have been able to beat strahd without the help and so obviously it's like oh hell yeah more than mary and when we lost a couple people um especially cody's character both players but but cody's character it's a big loss for me personally role playing wise because it's like oh man like that would have been really fun to play with him um so when you're in it you know you're willing to have a big group but i think outside of it being be willing to jump into something beforehand knowing that and maybe a campaign where you don't need a big party mm -hmm. to beat the big bad. Um, you know, there's a lot of downsides, I think from a player's perspective, I got to give you kudos. First of all, that talking about bringing people in, you asked your players first, that one right there, big ups, good, uh, beginning GM tip. Always talk to your players first before you make a big decision. There's a, a managing, uh, players at the game is, made easier if you have a prior existing relationship like i've been playing games with matt for more than 20 years and i played with patrick for several years same thing with my cousin like my cousin was one of my first players ever so there i played a campaign with with our old player sean so i had pre-existing relationships with all of these players you mike and beto were actually were the newest of the lot and it was beneficial to me to have like we had a couple of campaigns that got cut short. Uh, one with just you and Mike and one with you, Mike and Beto. So that we kind of established a, a 
a dynamic that was already the core of the adventure and then adding other players on I think makes it easier so I, I couldn't imagine having five new players that I had never played a game with before especially if they all know one another that would be kind of difficult I probably am with you I wouldn't endeavor to do that um, although I the more experience like Go ahead. Oh, I apologize. I think framing it like that's a good way to think about, you know, I would go through experience again. You know, I don't regret doing it because I think you learn so much as a new player. I think it was a perfect way to, or a really good way to, uh, you know, introduce the pl new players more into the game because you bring some experience in, but you gave them some, uh, this is your campaign. And so when the other players come in, you've already had your moments as new players. So say we had a whole group mm -hmm. of players like Matt who are, really active in the world and, and, you know, have their moments of shining, you know, the, the newer players, it might be harder to, to get into it. So you've already established it and allowed them to, to feel like the campaign's theirs. And so I think that was a great way to do it. Um, I think online hurts it too. I think if we're in person all around the table together, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's a good old time. I think it's an amazing time. I, I always wonder if, cause I think the last time that I was in San Jose with uh, visiting Dave and it got to be me, Beto and Mike, around the table with David. Unfortunately, Chris, I think you weren't able to make, you were still online, but I think you were actually traveling at the time. But I felt like with us three being around the table, it was a little bit better because uh, Patrick is still, no matter what, even though I've played with Patrick in, in person plenty of times, he's the exact same. Be it online or in person, it's, it's the exact same. Online, but yeah. I felt like we were able to communicate a little bit better. Like Beto and I were having a lot of fun sharing drinks first of all. And then uh, we have a little bit better role play going on with uh, us being in the same room. And I will say no matter what, being around a table is always better than on a, at a VTT. Like I love the ability to play online. It's great. I love it better than, you know, if, other than nothing. But man, just being around now that I've been playing around a table again, nothing fucking beats it. Nothing, nothing beats it. It's part of that. I, suspect it has to do with a variety of things being around a table allows you to you know turn your attention to somebody look at them talk to them directly they're everybody's in the view of one another and it just fosters the kind of camaraderie that you would want to have but having a pre-existing dynamic with players is important because you suss out very very quickly with with a lot of players you can suss out mm -hmm. what type of player they are and you know what they need and you know what what it is that caters best to them. That said, that kind of segues into my my question that I that I had for you, Chris, about uh, I mean, I'm always very pleased to hear. None of you seem to have any complaints about the game. It's the whole, uh, you know, a game is better than no game. And so I'm always very pleased to hear what I'm doing right. But I guess if I had to kind of poke at you a little bit, I don't know that I've ever asked you directly, what what are some aspects of the game that you think are maybe not as satisfying that need to be kind of tweaked with a little bit? And how can I aid that? Uh, you're, you're a much more cerebral player than some, uh, than almost any player I've ever had. Uh, you're a very cerebral player, so usually what I, I realize that sometimes what you need is for me to spur action. I need to, to, you know, you could talk about how your player feels about stuff 
for a very long time and their inner monologue and their inner narrative. And so sometimes that's great context and backstory. And sometimes I want to prod you into like doing something about it. Like, what do you do? How do you demonstrate who you are? Is that an effective tactic? What are some, or is it party dynamics? Is it the world? Is it the conflict? Is it uh, my flavor text? Like what are some aspects of the game that you would like to see trend in a direction? And this segment from Chris brought to you by... Modelo. The fighting spirit. Hold on a second while I chug <laughs> this. Okay. Um, so I guess before answering the main question, to hit on um, a little bit of a second question in a way, um, with, you know, the way of my, you know, me as a character, you know, the inner feelings and you trying to like poke at that and get me to act more. Um, I'd say that's more on me as a player. I need to work on that more. Like that's one thing that I've tried to do more lately that you've given me some advice on some kind of after session conversations regarding involving other players with that, you know, and I think uh, I forget if it was last session or session before it's, it's been a few weeks. Thanks to, to part in by me, uh, part me, but you know, involving Beto and being, you know, trying to introduce him to my religion a little bit and, and involving the other characters, um, that's action, you know, whether or you can in- involve yourself in the world, interact with the world. And now DMing and kind of giving myself a crash course and reminding myself just overall how to play the game, you know, from a player's perspective, from a DM's perspective, um, that's really, I think the hon- onus is more on me. So to get to the part, I guess, that on you for, you know, I guess in my opinion for improvement, the big glaring thing to me isn't necessarily the game, but, but it really is because it's, it's not a DM style thing. It's overall how the internet has gone and that, that's not all you. So for instance, not being able to hear Patrick's character as much, tying in that last conversation we started about the table versus online. You know, if we had him at the table, that's not even a conversation and how much time is eaten up even if it's two minutes you add that up over 10 sessions 20 sessions you add up Beto not knowing his his character as well things like that that are a lot out of your control that I think you've done you've taken steps to try to to manage those things and sure so so maybe could you do more there you know I don't know that you you would know that question better and they would know that question better um I think there's been times um, you guys talked about on the podcast where it was, you know, 10, 15 minutes of kind of going into rules. And if there's a reason, you know, you're the DM and if that's that's your style. For me, it, it wasn't as big of a deal for me. But when we have players that are up so late and it's already, yeah. you know, a big party, it's like, oh, man, 10, 15 minutes. Like I'm I'm with Matt. Like at those points, it's really hard. Like I stayed engaged, thankfully, um, at that time. And I was you know, looking at my character sheet. But I know especially some other characters that are already hard to gauge how much they're into the game that would probably be my biggest like to improve our game it would be maybe cutting out those moments and maybe talking to Beto on the side and if there's any way to improve those other you know few tech problems I talked about which I think you've already addressed so I don't know if those are necessarily fruitful but well I think the Matt and I go back and forth about this about how how much time to devote in the game to, to doing something I think I'm more of a laissez-faire DM, which is I'll let you be and I'll let you whatever. It, pushing the game forward versus allowing the players to roam where they see fit, in, not even in a literal sense, but even as kind of a metaphorical sense, a conversation about something or whatever. So I try not to interject myself too much into things. And I also try to be a resource 
to the players. If a player has a question of me, then I try to answer that question because in to the best of my ability in the moment, because I never know if they're asking about something, maybe it's because it is actionable to the next thing they want to do. And they want to have a lot of clarity as to how something works. So maybe that's unfair and maybe I need to be a little more, we'll just deal with this later. But if you ask me like, how does it work if I wanted to cast this spell? Then to me, if you're asking the question, it kind of communicates that maybe you intend to cast that spell depending on what the answer is. And so I try to answer to the best of my ability so that it can inform your decisions. Now, if you're just asking to, just to know and it's not actionable in some way, then to Matt's point, that's on the player and they should really be a little more thoughtful about distracting from the game. But I'm never going to put my foot down and go like, don't worry about it. Like, just tell me what you want to do. Because it's like, if I don't know what the rules are, I don't know how something's going to work. I don't know if I want to do a thing. And so I try to always think about it in those terms when there is a question. And generally speaking, I am not the one that brings into light most things that are discussions of the rules and, and mechanical things. Occasionally, it is. I might even just... It, it, but it's usually a fairly short aside, like the thing with Patrick's War Horse. I kind of got wisdom from the group. Like, I don't know, what do you guys think? Do you think that would be a thing? And everybody kind of didn't have a clear answer. And I was like, you know what? Just for now, this is the way it's going to be. That's a ruling. But if it's something that you want, to, as a player, need to be empowered with to allow you to do the thing that it is that you want to do, I'm never going to say no to that I, because I think it's a worthwhile exercise. But that also is trusting your players a lot to never take undue time to get an explanation from the DM when it is not germane to what I think happening. one of the big things when it comes to that, when you want to help the player do what they want to do, is Dave's a really good at this, that he helps build that muscle in the player that I remember back in the day, um, we all used to say, I want to try to do this. And Dave says, don't fucking do that just tell me what you want to do you're not going to try anything you're going to do it or you're not depending on the role and <laughs> he was just like just tell me what you want to do don't tell me what you want to try just tell me what you want to do and uh, it builds this muscle that a player can just come outright and say this is what i want to happen and dave will say all right well then make this role or he'll say that can't really happen but you could do this and then you say, oh, well, then I'm just going to try it anyway. That's a, uh, but I don't know that that's a, maybe that could be more explicit mm -hmm. to Chris's point. Maybe, maybe he's never actually heard me say that or heard you say that in so many words where instead of saying, how would it work if I wanted to like, okay, how, how do the rules around uh, using a bonus action for a spell work? Like, instead of just being like, mm -hmm. here's what I want to do. Yeah. How would that work? And then going, okay, here's how it works. And you go, okay, uh, well, I don't want to do that then because it, it, the cost is too high or whatever. I'm going to do something else. But that, that's a really good tactic as a player is trying to communicate to your DM what it is that you want to achieve. And 
there's some neuroticism with new players where they think I said it, I'm doing it. And it's like, no, no, you're just, you're, you're asking a query. You tell, Hey, this is, well, it's either either that or the player just feels sheepish in that they, they don't know the rules enough yet that they don't know what they can say. So they don't know that I can just be like, like me, I got, I'm just going to fucking Rambo it, big dick it, be like, I'm going to do this. And Dave just says, no, no, you're not. Let's try something. Let's, let's get down a little bit less. It's, it's a, but most players don't yeah, have that, yeah. that level of confidence. They're, they're, Chris is the more kind of player that he's likely to ask mm-hmm. a question before declaring that he's going to do something. You're like, I'm going to squeeze through these arrow slits. And I'm like, well, wait, hang on. I'm going to need to roll from mm-hmm. you on that if you're going to do that. But you just assume that it is my role yep. to set up boundaries for you. And, but as a new player, and, and maybe we can kind of get into this discussion as we get into our main topic after a community question, but um, I'm curious. I don't remember the last time I played with players that have played D&D before, but mm. have never played with me because everybody that I play with, I recruit. Chris had never played D&D. Mike had never played D&D. Beto had never played D&D. They're new players in the brand new sense of the word. So there's... A really steep learning curve there for players that have played before what you need to do is acclimate the acclimate acclimate <laughs> acclimate wow four times it never takes you four times it's not like i it's not like i have a degree <laughs> in journalism or anything acclimate them to your style of play your world the pacing the way you run the rules so i'm really curious to get chris's thoughts on that after sure. a, a community question if uh, you guys have any other thoughts on this oh. and the game and improvement Go ahead, Chris. What's up? If, yeah, just, uh, I guess, a thought. Um, it's funny. I came on the podcast thinking, man, this is cool as a viewer, as a listener, rather. Um, you know, I might get a chance to ask a question, right? And I kind of had some ideas in mind. And this is something that kind of came out of the blue. I think my lesson from this podcast, just as a player, is the word that came to mind was empathy. Meaning, I think for our specific situation, the big problem for... He- our situation, I think, is Beto. And I'm going to pull a mat here. Beto, <laughs> buddy, we love you. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I think we're at different levels of understanding the game, you know, you mm-hmm. guys understand the game so well that I understand Matt's frustration when something that really the player could have facilitated more. You know, I don't think that's where it was hard. I'm really glad that you didn't ask me what's something about my GM style. You, can, you asked about the mm-hmm. game because... A lot of the issues in our, th- I can't even really think of many other issues that um, would lay at your feet. I mean, I, obviously, as the DM, they're all your responsibility to to deal with, but you're not the issue. I think it's when when it's not facilitated on Beto's side of the communication and just not asking right questions, or I think more, you could probably dissect more what the issue is. And this isn't trying to shout at him, because actually what it led me thinking is, man, and you, and you brought it up, it was funny, right? When I was thinking, ah, there's a lot of times I, I do the whole talking about metagame or I, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh, can I do this? And then like, that's on me. If, if that's something that I think is going to come up, I need to prep for our session more. And I love our game and I prep usually, you know, 15 minutes before I hop on, but I should really take my own hope as a DM, hoping my players would take the time to prep a little bit for the session to understand their character a little better and what I might do in a game and understand if I'm going to use my spell, these questions might come up. There's so many resources nowadays. You know, we're not playing in the 1800s where you got to go walk to a store, hope there's a newspaper telling you some information. Like, he doesn't even have to come to you. And so I think uh, the benefit, this isn't necessarily the whole point you were saying earlier, but the benefit of taking the time also in the session and maybe even on your end, like making it kind of a nails on chalkboard situation is 
it should piss off the players a little bit. It should make him a little embarrassed to go, man, I should really get in my character. But I think we're at the point when you've done a lot of that poking and prodding. And this is another instance in me bringing this up specifically in the way I am is another extension of Beto. Maybe think, and me too. And this actually, I should have said that. It's actually a lesson for me that I should know my character too. And all players should really think about what you're going to do in a session and try to think about those questions beforehand so you can facilitate it better through DM. And sorry to, you know, not get directly to the point, but I think that's worth bringing up before we moved on. It's actually interesting that you bring that up because I have poked at Beto. I prodded at him, uh, tease him a little bit. Our group is interesting because we basically have Say you have the kind of player that pushes the narrative forward, the kind of player that is interested in role-playing, the kind of player that knows the mechanics and is, is concerned with, I don't know, for lack of a better word, to use a game theory term, min-maxing. We have all of those in our group in different varieties. Patrick knows the fucking rules. You notice that Patrick hardly ever asks questions about the rules. Patrick is a fucking game theory guy. He he min-maxes. He understands what he can do. But what he doesn't really have much interest in is role-playing. But he does, to a lesser degree, will push the plot forward. So there's that style player. Then you have Mike. Mike is interested in pushing the plot forward, but really doesn't know the rules super well. He's He's okay with the rules. He doesn't know them super well and virtually has no interest in role-playing at all, just like Patrick. Chris, you're a player that knows the, the rules well and is interested in role-playing, but sometimes has a little bit of trouble pushing the plot forward. Uh, I will, to your credit, say that you have gotten much more thoughtful about that. Um, Beto is the inverse. Beto is interested in role-playing um, and to a lesser degree pushing the plot forward, but has has almost completely ignorant of the rules sometimes. And so, and, and then you have Matt, who is kind of like the Mario of all of it. He kind of is balanced. And I think mm -hmm. that just comes with experience as you kind of learn what things that you you need to, Matt, Matt is the only player that like prioritizes pushing the plot forward and then role playing and mechanics. He knows the mechanics, but he's just very rarely concerned with them, except as they're an impediment to doing what it is that he wants in the world. And so, cobbling all that together you arrive at a variety of different sensibilities and how to prod the different players i have teased beto repeatedly and actually just last night before our game i don't think he did it in the group chat maybe he did but but he actually seems to have taken some of that to part where he's like hey i, I don't really i know that we're kind of coming up on level nine and i'm thinking about multi-classing if that happens I'd like to know how it works ahead of time Ooh. and so you know if you could take some time after the game or before the game and and kind of show me how it works so that I know how it works and I don't have to like be asking a bunch of questions, that would be ideal. So he does seem to have internalized that a little bit. I I do think that putting a player on blast is not usually wise. Uh and you want to be able to allow them to, you know, have the stage when when it's appropriate. Um but also sometimes this is this is a good example. It's uh, when we have technical issues that you mentioned mentioned before, Chris. You talk for say like a minute or two, and I realize I've done this before too. It's like I'll be talking and talking and talking for a minute or two, and then I'll realize that my audio cut out, 
And then when I come back, if I encapsulate with whatever I just said in a minute in a minute or two in like 12 seconds, I should have just taken 12 seconds the first time. <laughs> <laughs> like I should have just taken the 12 seconds instead of like going on and on and on and on and on and on. And then it's like, oh, wait, I realize that they can't hear me. And it's like, I'm sorry, you, you cut out. What were you saying? Well, I, I effectively was just saying that, you know, um, you know, I sigh heavily. I pick up my pack and I and I kind of like move down with the rest of the party. It's like, OK, well, then it shouldn't take any two minutes. And if we could all be a little more thoughtful, I, I know I could be a little more thoughtful about not rambling on. But part of that, too, part of my rambling, just like I'm rambling now. That's why he's on the show. Is, um, usually is to because we have some players in the party that don't necessarily besides Matt don't prioritize pushing the plot forward I feel like the responsibility is on me to do so and if I do so with some exposition or description I feel like I'm always hoping that it'll maybe rope the players in a little more and 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 push the plot along because you know ultimately that's really what you want the game to be is kind of uh, paced out accordingly it's the biggest biggest struggle as a DM is pacing Oh, at least in that is pacing. That is always, I think uh, that is the number one adventure. of the GM muscle to learn. Fuck the rules, fuck the mechanics. Pacing is the biggest one because mechanics, rules, all that stuff starts to, it does not really make sense until you learn pacing. And pacing is the biggest, biggest rule that you got to learn. And people usually handle it last, actually. Yeah. They're like, I got to learn the rules. Like, you need to learn to pace shit. But to be fair, you have to know the set in which you exist in order to pace things correctly. It's like a mix of action and, and kind of dialogue and maybe more things that aren't dialogue. They're the characters, inner monologues and, and stuff like that. That contributes to role playing. But if it gets to be too cerebral, then it's like, well, it's not. This is all just happening in the ether. It's really not actionable in any way. And if it's all just action you're not really you're doing it a service to the whole narrative and the characters by not acknowledging that all this crazy shit is happening and like well what do your players do and feel about it why is it important why does it have any gravity that any of it happened if you're not ever taking a breath to get some insight into how they're they're mm. processing it and what how that might inform their actions in the future if they just have a bunch of traumatic shit happen. Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) And it's also like I was just (laughs) saying with my Wednesday group, my work group, uh, if you have good pacing, you know, when it comes to the end, you have that, that cliffhanger ready, or at least that little note that leaves the players wanting more at the end and they can't wait for the next session. Mm -hmm. And guess what? My last game, because I'd had no pacing, I was just having so much fun. We left on a note that was just like, we're in mid conversation it's just like, hey, I got to go. It's like, oh, well, fuck. Well, yeah. it's great because we're having a lot of fun, but it kind of sucks to, to end on this nothing. It's yeah. kind of a big wet fart to just kind of end on like something that's not. But if you have your pacing down, yeah. you'll you'll usually always be able to hit that good cliffhanger at the end. Usually, usually always. always. I think that's interesting, David. You said um, maybe that's everyone ends with that, the pacing, but maybe maybe that's where to begin because even in this conversation about pacing, you've brought up everything to do with the game, right? The beginning of the session, the end of the session, things that might come up like a player having to leave early and, you know, having that in the back of your mind that, yeah, we're going till 10, but if for some reason we end at nine, you know, where does that maybe put me? All the unexpected thing, you know, building the world out, all the travel. So 
maybe that is the place to begin. And maybe that's a good segue into, you know, kind of this, I guess, uh, advice from some, from some, some ret- veterans to a, to newly, uh, played DM and maybe that's the place to start is pacing, you know, just as a new, I mean, is that what you guys would say as, as a new DM coming in is, is maybe going from the meta, the big, for me, I, I kind of go, Oh, the storyline, but that, that I learned very quickly. That wasn't the way to go, but pacing isn't just the storyline. It encapsulates no, no, no. so much of what you guys I already can started tell talking you about. firsthand. Uh, when I first started seriously, like when I started getting really into DMing and like, this is after, because I never DM'd a lot in third edition. Uh, I always had hmm. our our buddy Nate Higley wanted to DM a lot during third edition. And he did the DMing. I did the rules. I was the rules guy. He just did the story. And I didn't do a serious campaign until fourth edition. Uh, that lasted for, Jesus, we played that one for like two and a half years. We played one campaign for two and a half years all the way to level 30. And that's when I learned my real pacing. Yeah, that was no good. But, uh, yeah, I learned my real pacing doing this campaign. This stupid fucking keyboard. Get away from me. Pushing buttons. Uh, that's when I first learned. Because that's the first time I ever did, like, a real story. That's when I sat down and I did a homebrew for myself. And I had these points that I wanted to hit. And I found out if you hit too many in one session, then mm-hmm. like the the next couple sessions that could be nothing, just they don't hit as hard. And what you want is at least every single session, you want these at least one good hit instead of I'm going to hit four times and then we're going to hit, you know, every single time. Because no, if you blow your fucking load on one who knows what's going to happen unless you want to prep for a couple hours every fucking day to make sure that you get these hits. It's not going to happen. And guess what? I can't do that, man. I work 10 hours a day. I don't have this sort of time. So, and maybe that's why I play games now that are a little bit more rules minimal because I don't want to deal with it. I like to come up with stuff on the fly (laughs) because I I really don't do any prep these days. I got my story down. This is what I'm doing. Uh, well, maybe that's the big difference because right now my situation is I've picked Lost Mine, Lost Mine of Fandelver, um, something that's been run so much as well. You know, there's a lot of information. So to quickly not only get what the story's about, but each individual quest, you know, maybe what the, you know, the arc and the pacing would be for that. You know, you can get that really quickly as a new DM. So I think that really distinguishes a difference between our play styles right now and the kind of games we're running to where for me, when you say maybe paces, pacing is where you begin. My brain is like, yes, because every problem in question is connected to pacing, right? The next couple adventures, you know, as a DM starting Lost Mine, there's no excuse for me not to know what's going to be in Fandolin after the Goblin Arrows. There's no excuse to not know at least a little bit about the Red Brands and have some inciting and have some things brewing in the town that can lead to some quests. I don't need to go further than that and map everything out. And, you know, you can minimalize and, and simplify a lot, but that maybe that's a big difference is the pacing to me is so important because it drive everything else is connected to that. I'm thinking about that. Constantly. All right. Well, let's, uh, we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but, uh, let's see, Chris, do you have a die in your, uh, general vicinity there? Fucking a, let's let our guests yes, roll for a, uh, a community question. Roll it. Roll it. Now. Oh, all right. One. Nice. All right. That's let's see. Um, all right, this one comes from the witty one, the dash witty dash one. 
5e modules for the experienced but burnt out dm i have four burnout campaigns under my belt all of my own writing and design to varying degrees of success it feels like i inevitably run out of steam by session 10 i've used modules only sparingly before I've been DMing 5e for about six years, and my players always love what I do for them, even if it fizzles out. I have my own ideas, and I desperately want to, sh to share them. While I'm working on my own creative slump, is there a module for a six to eight session game that will let me keep my GM skills sharp? Also, maybe some general advice if you've been through similar stuff. I'm going to let you guys take this for a little bit while I go grab another uh, beverage. Wow, um, this is probably more a question for me, considering you haven't run a lot of games, but the crux of this problem, I think, is is the burnout. We get a lot of questions on the show where somebody is asking one thing, but really they're touching on something else. He's really the issue at hand is that the 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 questioner is burned out and they're trying to figure out a way to, to cure that. And they think that the solution lies in um, mm -hmm. some sort of module. And I would posit that it probably doesn't lie there. But to answer the question as asked, <laughs> if I'm aware of any six to eight session modules that might provide this guy a break, I think the Tales of the Yawning Portal has some good six to eight. That's exactly the one that uh, I was thinking of. Is it's a it's a great just uh, mid session module to do anyway. But it depends on the the levels too. Uh, the White Plume Mountain is a classic. Uh, it's a but it's it doesn't have the flavor of a homebrew. It feels more like you know classic RPG. Yeah, just feel just as you said, they are their in. classics, and they're going to feel like classics. But in that part of that means that they feel antiquated mm -hmm. and outdated because they don't. You go, what is this dungeon? Why yeah. is it here? Well, it's just random cloistered rooms with shit here for adventurers. That seems weird. But I don't. Know, why are these well, giants mad at me? RPG. Yeah. So there's a. Uh, I mean, against the giants is a little more of a narrative-driven uh, adventure. But that one comes to mind. Um, plenty of adventures can be segmented up it also depends he he doesn't say how mm -hmm. long of a session are we talking here six to eight sessions of two hours four hours six hours, i always like to hours, think at like, least eight four hours i i do typically think a session is you know four to six hours but um some people run longer sessions you know for only playing once a month but the real problem here is that he's, he's not really addressing the he's trying to treat the symptoms without treating the illness and the illness is that his campaigns fizzle out after 10 sessions. Well, why is that? You need to examine why that is. If you're looking for some published material to solve that while you figure out your creative slump, if this has been a perennial thing with you over the course of several campaigns, you don't, you're not in a slump. You have some marquee problems that need addressing. Do you not know how to move on from the intro to an adventure into more developed um, sort of storytelling. Do you not good at peeling the onion and kind of getting some stuff out of your players that 
is satisfying. One of the most satisfying parts of Curse of Strahd is not to me, not that we're getting to me, not that we're getting to higher level monsters and, and, and rising conflict. It's it's what we're learning about the characters and, and their their own arcs. And those are all rising into some sort of culmination. You know, Matt's character with his reluctant leadership and kind of the arc of that. Patrick's character with his relationship to the sword and, and his concepts of vengeance, as well as how it plays up against Matt's character and vying for leadership of the party and how it plays up against Beto's character for this like vengeance to do away with him. Char Beto's character with his um, like patron being lost and the distrust of the party. Tarnan's character with these two, uh, you know, warring gods and of two minds and of two worlds and of two different types of character. Mike's character with some ghosts of his past, his shogun. And, and these things he did while he was in the military campaigns, all of these things are starting to kind of bubble up to where there might like converge on some big plot points. And those things are way more fucking interesting to me than like, you're going to fight the big vampire Lord eventually. Like that should be cathartic because of the character arcs and what it means to them. There's no, uh, there's no resolution or no catharsis to something that doesn't have any punch to it. And so maybe he has trouble getting over that hump. And why is that? Why would he not be able to push past 10 or 12 sessions? That is a question that I can't answer, but I'm guessing that it's more than just a slump. If this is continually happening, you need to examine, you know, what it is that you are providing, why you're excited. It doesn't sound like his players are lacking enthusiasm. It sounds like he kind of gets a little burned out on and it's like well does it start to feel routine maybe you're just taking the maybe you like mm. the beginnings of things some players some people like the beginnings of things and it's like okay you like the beginning and then once the beginning fizzles out you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do and it starts to feel like you're just recycling and rehashing stuff and maybe your players love it and they're fine with it but maybe you're bored because that passion is no longer there because you just like the beginnings of things and it's like are you well suited to run a game if that's the case can you get over that these are bigger <laughs> life questions than they are questions yeah. about the game. You know, what I was going to say, because it seems what he's, I was going to say white yeah, mountain. That's but, exactly uh, what I was going to say. Um, what he's talking about here is what I can see is, um, he always says that he runs out of steam by session 10. And just as you said, David, that, uh, yeah, sometimes you do, you love that beginning. You have like all this energy and, the beginning of this game that you've created and all of a sudden you get to that over that first hump and then it's just like fuck where do i go from here it almost seems it almost seems like you expend all of your creativity at the beginning and now you don't know where it's going to go so i'm going to say this is what i do almost every time go ahead and grab that module but don't just run it from cover to cover use it as a skeleton and I know we've talked about this on the show yes. plenty of times before. Use it as a skeleton, but make it your own. Create on mm -hmm. top of it. Mm -hmm. And whenever you start to feel like you are lacking and you're feeling that burnout, look at open up that module and just be like, all right, here, where are we going next? Modules can feel soulless. And that's part of the reason that most of us don't really mm -hmm. find them as satisfying is 
I mean, you just go like, oh, what am I bringing to this? So it's like, I didn't come up with this. I'm just running it. But anytime you can inject something that's distinct and unique. And I mean, Matt, you're feel fairly familiar with Curse of Strahd. And I pro you can probably see the brushstrokes of where I'm injecting my own kind of sense on it. But, but I would venture to guess that maybe Chris and Mike and Beto can't. And so you try to think of things that are seamless. You know, it seems natural and it makes more sense than the, the module actually anticipates because your, your game has grown mm. around it. And you go, this makes more sense at this juncture in the adventure, or I add this or whatever. It, it ties in in this way. And that makes it better and it makes it your own and it makes it more seamless. And if you're doing it well because you understand the spirit of the adventure, I get it. Building an entire world, building theme, building NPCs and characters can be arduous. But if you have some basic building blocks there, then maybe you wouldn't find it as difficult. And maybe that could provide some sort of roadmap for this DM and how to like segue. Don't don't take a six to eight session adventure. You know, grab a whole campaign and try to just make every element of it your own. And you can see what's a first act, second act, third act of a structure. You're never getting past the, if you're 10 sessions in, you're getting to maybe mm -hmm. level two or three. So it's like some some people are that way. They're always thinking about, oh, my next character this and my next character that. And that always happens, level three, four, five. When you start to get to level nine, ten, you're actually not thinking about your next character. Yeah. You're like, I want this character mm -hmm. to get as far as I can. And that's that's the real exciting meat of, of a campaign. So that would be uh, be part and parcel of my advice, at least for this. And since we have a fresh new GM that is on the scene, Chris, how many uh, sessions have you run with this group that you have now? One four-hour session last week uh, in person, and then I've got the second session online on Tuesday. Great. So no burnout yet. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think three sessions is going to be – three or four sessions might be my Fuck. burnout. I might have to take a <laughs> break. Right. Uh It's these – I wonder the age of that la of the question because if it's a millennial like me, then maybe it's just – Take a break, go on a vacation, come back, level two, three. You know, <laughs> go on a vacation, going. come back. You know what, guys? Level up. It's fine. It's like six-month break but, uh, we'll for every summer. game that you got going yeah. on, Chris, are you homebrewing it or are you running a module? So I decided um, I got free reign after talking to the group, having kind of a session zero uh, once or twice, so session zero A and B. Um, it was really hard. I mean, especially you guys might have this difficulty, like getting a, a sense of what people want to play, um, especially if you don't know them too well, haven't played with them before. Like, I don't know, Matt, your experience going to conventions or mm. I, I don't know if that's the term, but, you know, different places where you're meeting strangers or online. You know, I, I felt like I was asking good questions and in a way that some direct questions, you know, just like, oh, what kind of style do you like? But then also going in depth, you know, asking some more you know, situational thing. Like, oh, is this the kind of thing you like? And just really not getting a sense of what the party wanted. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go with something I know. David mm -hmm. had run um, parts of Lost Mine and Fandelver. Now I know because I've been reading through it. And I'm like, oh, I've done, you know, this quest yeah. and that quest combined with a few other things. So I thought, I know the Neverwinter. I just went with what I knew the best. I thought as a new DM with so much to balance and think about and watch videos, you know, the few weeks leading up, making sure that I'm covering all my bases. I thought, I don't want to be thinking about the story of the world too much. I don't want to think of, and that's counterintuitive to when I first wanted, when I first got into DMing, 
it was because I love creating and I wanted to create a world and I wanted mm -hmm. it to be a homebrew. And that definitely could have been my first session. This was, I had a group of players I didn't know, even played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we met about a month ago, all showed interest, uh, all willing for me to be the DM. And then we had an opportunity, you know, about a week and a half before I, I decided, I got news I was going to San Jose, which all these players in the Bay Area, I'm the only person that's not in the area. So a little tricky scheduling wise. And so we, so last minute, so I thought last minute, I'm going to go with what I know. So Lost Mine and Fandelver um, decided to start with that versus the homebrew. I feel like the homebrew would just be way too much to deal with having that. Fandelver is always a great one to start with. Even if you're going to do homebrew, easy to place. It's starter set. I've played the first, second, third, four. I played all five editions worth of starter sets, and they've even had multiple starter sets for mm -hmm. a couple of editions. So I would say all in, I probably played eight different starter set adventures. I think Lost Mine of Fandelver is the best one. I can agree with that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really solid adventure. And that was actually part of, um, you told me you were running the game, Chris, and I was like, okay, I think he's probably likely to struggle with the pacing because you you love all that lore and you love all that exposition and i was like you know you need to kind of do the whole in media res tactic start them in the action and something that's actionable and moving the plot forward and then kind of fill in the plot and i was a little i was a little like i really hope he doesn't go down that route because he kind of gets all nerds out about it but it sounds like that actually you you had an awareness about that of yourself and, and your desire and kind of went in the opposite direction because of some concerns you have. I think your instincts are good too on sometimes you talk to players and you don't really get a clear sense and whether you recognize it or not, if you're the kind of person that's been delegated to the role of DM, it's likely because you're a more direct, uh, decisive person and and even if you're not nor like direct and decisive, then you kind of assume that role and you're almost like you're almost like the father figure of the group. And so sometimes you just need to make a decision for the family as it were like, this is what we're doing. I'm not getting any clear feedback from you. I'm going to do what's easiest for me and what I think is got the best chance of success to provide everybody what it is that they want. And if you all got complaints, I am here to listen to them and certainly will tweak and adjust. So. I guess my first question would be for you, Chris, is where where were the the where were the hits? Were the things that were really good uh, about your first session, and what were the things that maybe you were like, yeah, okay, the next go around, I'm going to try to work on. Maybe it was the pacing, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the pulling the characters out of their shells a little bit to get something to know about them. Maybe it was making sure that the plot is moving forward, like. You know, what, what were the good and the, the bad? The good. Um, so there was a lot of good. Um, it went very well. Um, I think the main good obviously is the players all had a great time. Um, laughing, enjoyed themselves, um, really were brought into it, you know, looking around the table, it's in person. So it's, that's another point I guess from earlier is, is you really know when your players are engaged when you're at mm -hmm. the table, mm -hmm. if they're looking down or not when it's over and you don't have your camera up online, you might not know. And so, 
they were definitely engaged. So that was definitely, I think the best part. I mean, it's really easy. Lost mine to Fandelver, um, get you into the action right away. Um, I yeah. think it's a great, you know, really good story. Um, but just get you right into the action to your point. And so it drew everyone in showcased their abilities. Um, I thought the communication, um, and just overall what went good was just overall DMing, um, rules uh deciding on the fly like if things i didn't know right away there's maybe competing interests of like what it was we had a system set up it, we never used it um but if there was a dispute like say i thought this was a rule and someone thought otherwise if it was going to take me more than just a few seconds to get the answer if it wasn't already right out in front of me we both roll a d12 and whoever gets the higher one we go with that and i'll research it after the session mm -hmm. for next yeah, time that's around probably, i actually think that's a pretty good like hey i, I you know i'm you're because there is this strong instinct as a DM to kind of my point about decisiveness to exercise authority over the game. And you think that that will command the respect of your players. And we've had so many community questions and emails on this topic where it's player DMs want to assert control of the game. And so because they just, you know, they want their players to, to, do what it is that like makes the game operate. And that's fine. I get wanting to assert control over the game, but that's only born out of a high level of, of knowledge and expertise. And so some people will do that without um without having the 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 background, the knowledge, the the whatever to really back it up. And what that does is it does the exact opposite. Is it is it makes your players actually not respect you and not trust you and and think that you're being responsible with the game but you you handled it just like look you know i know the rules but i'm by no means an expert on this and maybe you guys know them a little better than me so we're going to handle this dispute as the referee of the game to kind of keep it going we're just going to handle this system and then i'm going to kind of do what i need to kind of bring myself up to speed on whatever this particular role is and we'll go for from there and i think that that actually fosters a much better table dynamic than just you know, putting your foot down and being like, no, this is the way that we're doing it because this is the way I say. It's like, but your players will just go like, well, this dude doesn't fucking know his ass from a hole in the ground. Like, he can't be wrong. Like, he clearly can. We've had so many community questions where people are like, my DM doesn't know the fucking rules and he won't, he's not hearing any of me being a contrarian. And I feel like I'm, it's, am I the asshole? I'm being an asshole, right? And it's like, well, you're not because if, if you're, if you have any humility about it, if I have some ambiguity about what the rules are likely to be, the first thing I do is ask Matt because he's another, he's a GM. And if he doesn't know either, then I just make a ruling. You do have to make a ruling because you are the referee. You know, you, you do have to make a decision. So I think that's actually a really good tactic. And I, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were in the middle of explaining. No, I guess to add to that a little bit is um, as a, a D oh sorry man might cut that out sorry kind of <laughs> forgot where i was going with that first time on a podcast um <laughs> sorry you 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 were saying uh well i, I started by asking you it's, what went well and what went wrong yeah i knew that's where we're going um there was something i was going to add maybe we can cut that out and just oh no we're leaving this all in so i can just finish with that list <laughs> Leave it in. Uh, what was, i don't cut uh, shit i don't take notes just, uh, sorry about that, guys. I apologize. Um, okay, let's hop Establishing back Establishing authority over the game, like admitting when you're wrong. 
Yeah, it was. Well, um, here, one thing that I wanted to know. Oh, that's what it was. I apologize. I got it. Oh, yes, yes. I did it. I, I did that. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> cool. So, um, oh, man, I forgot again. Uh, Matt? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's about knowledge. Okay, so it's about, for me, I think the big lesson um, probably out of this, this part of the conversation is be honest about the knowledge of the game mm-hmm. and your knowledge of the game. Right. I went in telling them that, yeah, I'm a new DM. Here's my experience. I'm not, and I think it's easy for sometimes, especially as the DM, you want to show confidence. You don't want your players thinking yeah. that you're, you don't know the game. And so sometimes you might even, in, you know, you go to a new job and you fake it till you make it. And it's like, I don't, that's not necessarily the way to do it. Have confidence, you know, maybe don't show when you don't know and have confidence and, and have a decision, be decisive and show you're a good leader that even though I don't know the information, this is how we're going to handle it. And I think even to an experienced DM, the truth about knowledge is even if even if you've been playing 30 years, you could be wrong. And so to your point yeah. about being humble, I could be wrong. So let me be open to it. And if I think as you stay in that truth about I could be wrong and I'm going to be honest about my experience, I think that solves mm-hmm. most of those problems. That's the, the you know, Socrates said that, that is the more the more I know, the more I know I know nothing, right? The, the higher of a, like, and so it's directly antithetical to being decisive and being a know-it-all and having knowledge are not the same. It's it's the same thing with writing. I'm always telling people this. Stop writing like you want people to think you're smart using all these big words and and jargon and and, and convoluted sentences because you'd be surprised that, generally speaking, when you write clearly, concisely, concretely in simple language that people can understand, that's what pe- make pe- makes people think you're smart is not like you write like a really jargon and the people aren't going to, they're going to be like, oh, that guy isn't whatever. He's just kind of talking around me. He's a bullshitter. And when you're up front about your level of knowledge, but still go, okay, in the interest of like, we don't have time to sit here and debate this all night. Right. So I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to find out what's right. And it actually makes people respect you and trust you. And if you don't have the trust of your players, mm-hmm. you have nothing. Like you have nothing. If they don't think you will be fair and like give them a fair shake in this fantasy world that you've created, that you're just looking to assert control over them. Th- this is when players get bored and they feel like anxious and neurotic about the game. They just they don't enjoy it because they feel like you're ushering them down a certain path instead of respecting them as people to be upfront about well, I'm not really certain how that works, and and but you know this kind of seems like it makes sense in the moment, so we'll go with this now. I don't think it's going to break the game. I'll make sure that I kind of have that buttoned up, and then over time, you you gain experience and you gain knowledge. No one ever expects you to know everything about the game, like the back of your hand, the first go around. Players expecting that are unreasonable, and they're likely players that have never tried to run a game on their own if they have that expectation of you. So. But so we talked about what went right. What were there any snags or any things that you think you need to dial in or might need some insight into how to tweak them to be better, especially yeah. for a shorter session the second time around, right? Yeah, and you know I'm new to podcasting. This might be bad podcasting etiquette, but just to back us up a little oh, bit to one fuck. more, um, to 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 use a fancy word to sound smarter to extrapolate your last to point. Extrapolate. Hey, Dave's um, the only guy that can make I think use to, the big fancy a, words around here. No, That's and actually word. be smart, but I can use big <laughs> fancy words and, and be dumb <laughs> and try to seem smart. Um, but no, I think okay. turning that internally, the whole point about being honest to the players, 
um, of your knowledge of the game, but being honest with yourself about what I'm good at, what I know mechanics wise. And I think that's one thing I did good that session of my descriptions. I love descriptions, but I knew that I would go down that rabbit hole for writing. And I also mm -hmm. knew that that also is a weakness of mine is reading that and kind of managing. I've tried having uh, mm -hmm. written descriptions when I ran that one-on-one -on -one session with you. I don't think I used any of them. Or if I did, every time I did, I lost where I was. And so I took the route of what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? How can I eliminate that? And especially I knew my the start to the campaign. And so I thought, okay, combat's easy. I know combat. So let me make sure mm -hmm. I know the combat. That's what. I, and so as a new DM, my first couple sessions, if we're not doing any underwater combat or, you know, uh, brothel <laughs> hunting, you know, if that's not coming up, I don't need I know, to I don't want to chase. I don't want underwater combat. I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, but I just wanted to add that point about just internally, but go into the bad, um, not being prepared oh. enough. Um, as much as I spent the time and I, and I spent more time than I usually do. That was going to be my next question is your prep time. Cause I wanted yeah. to know, cause we've talked about this many a times, uh, prep time. And I'll let you know, after I played with Dave for a long time, I tried running two, uh, a D and D games. I didn't prep for either one of them because I was just like, "Oh, it's just a fucking story, and you roll a d twenty, you add some shit. That's not easy." Fuck Thacko. Who knows what the Thacko is? And then everybody's just like, "Did I hit?" And I'm like, "Fuck." I know what Thacko is. I know what Thacko is. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, oh man, what is your Thacko again? And then weapon speed and all this other shit. Uh, third edition, a lot easier. And then in fourth edition, when I wanted to do my first serious game i will not bullshit you for the very first session i think i prepped in one week and like i said this is no bullshit probably about 12 13 hours of prep time before the first session and i think i used maybe 10 percent of it so i want to know what was your what was your prep time and then how much of it actually paid off I prepped about 20 hours. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, and part of that was because flying, I had a connecting flight. So it made my travel about five or six hours. So, you know, I got a good three hours there too as well. So, you know, um, I set myself up to where I had time. I really wanted to do a good job. And, but it wasn't exactly 20 hours on the module, right? Not on uh -huh. Lost Mine. It was on DMing. It was on, um, you know, shoring up, you know, combat and, uh, character creation you know because i'm also helping players through the process mm -hmm. of creating their characters one person for the first time and so you know a little bit of prep into that but overall where it fell short um really was on the, the descriptions and really was on thinking about what could have gone wrong i had everything in place i thought with um a few things um one of which uh involved in david which was just miscommunication it's not like you know more on me than him because i was you know when you're when you have two, you have one. When you have one, you have none, right? And I didn't have a battle uh -huh. map. Um, I thought I had my tiles. I couldn't find my tiles at home, so I hit up David last minute. I tried to work out a time to kind of connect with him before the session the same day, which, again, is a mistake, right? Um, and so I showed up no tiles, no way of representing um, the story on the table. So I thought, that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll just do theater of the mind, but I didn't. Prepare for theater, and I spent prep time prepping for an encounter on on a battle map and bringing items in travel for those things. Um, and which leads me probably into like my biggest lesson and where I think now I, I'm I'm looking out for it is 
it seems to me that DMing after the preparation and, and if you know the game, it seems to be adjustments. Like things are going to go wrong. Things are like to your point, things are going to happen. The party might take it to a place that I didn't expect and maybe I didn't prepare, but that is the mm -hmm. game. That is still as much as part of the game, probably more important, the improv side to where I really spent some time prepping for that. So I was able to deal with the situation, but really that was the glaring issue. And the other second one to anyone like me, I think it's more of a personality thing, but I guess maybe to new DMs, uh, even if you're not confident, and it, this wasn't even from a place of confidence, but when I made mistakes, I would apologize. There are times to apologize for mistakes, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that, but you need to show confidence as a DM. And if things aren't going according to plan, and if you're, you're panicking behind that screen, it's all good. You can have, you know, probably even simplifying the session might make, make it even better. And if people are having a good, yeah. I just kept thinking that when, you know, the fire is happening, when, you know, a lot of, th I was like, man, I, I, I didn't communicate this. There was a overland travel that I wanted to do before the arrows to kind of get to know the party. So we didn't just jump right into combat for anyone that knows the module. Mm -hmm. um, you're kind of traveling on the, on a, the King's road, take a left on high board trail, uh, tie board trail. And you, uh, you encounter these goblins immediately into the session. I decided to have an overland travel. Um, but I wanted to do it more of a, a really open. I knew these players were very creative. I knew improv was going to be the strength. One player even communi communicated to me that they were working on that skill. They believed it to be a skill that they could work on and that they knew they had to practice it and that they encouraged it. They wanted it. Um, and so I thought, oh, on the way to Fandolin, you know, before this goblin attack, I'm going to let them. It's three day travel. Each day there's going to be a moment. Um, where a player can describe a scene that happens and within the bounds, you know, certain certain restrictions, which I don't even tell them the restrictions. I took this from you, David. It's just, mm -hmm. hey, what happens, right? Is there something interesting that happens? And I learned a lesson from that, that you give something open like that and one player might run with it and create something awesome. And then I learned a little, about, a little bit about another player, which afterwards I go, man, I really should have directed more of a targeted question or more of a targeted, you see this thing, how do you feel about that? You know, inside or... Yeah. Who's a, is there a person, you know, he's a, he's a rogue. And so I was like, Oh, what, what do you do? And he's like, Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. And um, doesn't really do anything. And I thought, man, I really should have asked him because there was a moment earlier where he didn't trust one of the characters. He was a little suspicious of the really outgoing bard in the party. And I should have asked him, has there ever been anyone from your past that betrayed you? You know, who was it or what, you know, did, you know, explain a time from your past. It didn't have to be about what happened on the road. Right. That was kind of my lesson from that. So I was thinking, you know, I was judging myself. Oh, man, I could have I could have done that. Just forget about it. You know, keep going. And so I think that was could have been a bad. I mean, I don't know. It's tough. That that strikes me as the bad, but it also was a good. I feel like the way I handled it, I didn't let it get to me, but I feel like I could have handled a lot of those situations better. But, you know, that's that's the learning process. That's key is not letting stuff get to you, because. As I already said, it's. I, I know I know that like my my players and I know their temperaments and I know what they need. Some players do need you to ask, okay, so Patrick, you're having like, you know, like some ruminations about like this distrust that you have with with Elros's character and you're you're thinking of doing something kind of rash. Tell me what it is. It's very concrete. Because I know that Patrick likely needs to be kind of ushered through that door. And Chris, you're the kind of character I could just be like, tell me something about Torin. Just say words to me and you'll just be like, here's the thing that I was been thinking about. Like, yeah, here's a book I wrote about this shit. 
And so not knowing that with your players can be challenging. Like it, it takes you a while to suss it out. And they're like, to your point earlier, Chris, there's so many resources available that at times you can listen to someone DM and you listen to their flavor text and their management of the table. And it's really easy to kind of go like, fuck, I don't do that that well. I don't. And then you kind of get in your own head about it. And it's like paralyzing to you. Like, oh, why don't I know the rules like the back of my hand, like this guy? Or why can't I pace things out or tease this out of my players? Or why can't I provide? Like, for me, it was always like vivid descriptions, like vivid, like when I sit down and like write a description, not to toot my own horn, but I think I can do that pretty fucking well. Um, but you're doing that on the fly sometimes, you know, in, in the heat of a battle, how do you make it seem lively? And I'm like, man, I get in my own head about it sometimes, but the best thing is, is just to go like, okay, sure. Maybe it's a missed opportunity, but if you're just resolving to do better, your players likely won't see the brushstrokes. If you're getting in your own head and you're being really neurotic about it, then it just compounds and it gets worse and worse. And then your players do notice like, okay, what the hell? Like you're hemming and hawing, you're talking too much, you're, you're metagaming, you're, you're doing this. And and then it just kind of starts to all come unraveled precisely because you're worried that one thing is the linchpin and no one thing is the linchpin. Move on to the next thing. If the, the adventure is pushing forward, the players are having fun. There is conflict. Don't, hang yourself up about missed opportunities file them away for maybe hey maybe i could just kind of incorporate that later if it seems um you know uh like there's an opportunity to incorporate it at a different juncture but to your point about prep time is you know for me prepping is mostly just reading because if you want to be the kind of dm that allows for a more free-flowing style of game then prepping and building everything out you building encounters and everything like as long as you're familiar with every corner of the adventure that the, the players are likely to experience in the first couple of sessions and then a little bit out from that just in case they wander off the path if you're familiar with it and you understand it and you're super familiar with the intent the purpose the texture don't worry too much about like, oh, I forgot. Actually, there was like something under the bed and it's like, well, who cares? Mm -hmm. like, it's, just, it's not that big of a deal. It says it in the published adventure. Like you just gloss over it or don't include it or include something else because you get too neurotic about going by the letter of the book. As long as you understand where the drama of the, the quest is and what's fruitful, you don't need to sweat the details. Did you find yourself sweating the details a lot, Chris? No, and I guess what was coming to mind, and maybe this answers this question too, is I put improv so much at the forefront because I realized I'm not going to know everything. I'm never going to know everything. And I want to be the type of DM that is willing to last minute. If I have an opportunity, I mean, it's not every day you have an opportunity that you meet three people that are willing to play D&D &D in a few weeks um, in, my, in, my, you know, in my life situation, and especially three people that are really eager to and excited and have some experience, have a mix, um, you know, and we're fantastic players. I mean, improv, role played, we're into combat. I mean, so I want to be the type of DM that can at any time, you know, you guys say, hey, man, like, we want you to DM tomorrow. I'm like, would I really want to miss out on an opportunity to DM for Matt and David just because 
I didn't know some material. Let's make it up. Mm -hmm. Let's improv. And obviously everyone's different at that, but I do believe everyone can get better. And there are some limitations. Some people aren't as creative. And and so there's tons of resources. Again, resources, resources, resources. And I also think that there's fundamentals to this, like anything. And, And fundamental, I don't think you can run a role play game without ever reading a module book. We could play a yeah. game right now off the top of our heads, have a great time. And is that a different game than maybe you want to play and you want it fleshed out? Go ahead. But no matter how much you're going to prep, you're going to have to improv. You're going to have to make adjustments and you're going to be making mistakes. And it's funny. I just got a new job, a side job. And at the uh, orientation, they said, what are your strengths and what are your opportunities? So when you said opportunities, that reminded me of because really when you said, what are the good, what are the bad? I mean, yeah, it's, it was what were the good and what were the opportunities? It really wasn't what were the bad. There was a... Back in the fourth edition days, I can't remember what that name of the program. I showed it to Dave, and both of us used it a lot. It was when you created your campaign, and there was like the little, it was almost like a spaghetti chart. It was this flow down chart. Yeah. And it was great just looking at that chart, because now I've used that. And since I've been homebrewing the Shadowrun game more and more and more as we've gone gone along, I've noticed that I, all I'm doing is I have an objective that I writ, write down a an end goal written down and then it's just a bunch of bullet points and as long as i hit those bullet points we're we're good yeah and i find that like a gold medal in the gm games yeah Yeah. branching branching sense of you know you have a start point and then you have like okay you can go one of three ways and then okay then once you get to one of those three ways you can go one of two ways on either of them but then they all converge on the singular plot point to kind of wrangle it in and that keeps the plot moving along. I guess the big question of the day that I have is what... Okay, so as somebody who's run dozens of games and whatever, do you have any lingering questions that you think that Matt and I will be able to offer you insight into? Because I really, really want this game to work out for you. Uh, I think being a GM Mm -hmm. makes people better players. You're already a really good player. And I really... I think I think GMing is satisfying in a way that player being a player really can never be. And so I really if you get that bug and you get that itch, I think it re reignites your passion for being a player. If for no other reason you get a break from running the game. Uh it helps you see how to be a better player. Being a player helps you see how to be a better GM. And are there any lingering questions that you have for either of us that might be helpful to you and your upcoming. Yeah, and I also wanted to know, this could go along with the question because I want to know what would you do different during with your prep and how you're mm. going to do the game? I really think um, just the way it played out, uh, every uh, two of the three players had a, a highlight, a shining moment that I feel like they could really walk away feeling like the party knows my character. I did something in the world. Um, except for my rogue. And if I could have changed anything, it would have been preparing more and and just buying myself. Cause I didn't check for my tiles until, until a few days before the session. And I just assumed they were there. I didn't, th- I haven't touched them in like a year. I don't know why I assume they'd be somewhere if I haven't seen them in so long. And I really feel like the rogue we ended, you know, the go- the goblins, um, they actually don't know they're goblins yet. So there's kind of this encounter that started uh, one of the the bard, the the woman's uh, small kind of squishy bard is uh, is injured behind. I kept the wagon out in the road behind the wagon. There's this great cinematic scene. So it was fine for the theater of the mind. But the rogue is is starting to sneak up on the goblins. And 
I thought this is the shining moment, especially if we're rolling on the table with the mat. And maybe that's not true. Maybe the, the, the theater of mine, but I think there was a few chances, even when I explained earlier about instead of saying, what do you want to do? And saying, you know, was, you know, it seems like your character doesn't trust people quickly. Was there a, someone that betrayed you an instance you'd like to share with the party? You know, there was a few moments and that if I could go back in time and redo it, that's the main thing I would have changed. So everyone had a moment and it didn't ruin the session for that player. Thank goodness. It wasn't a big deal, but that was the big one I would change. All right. And yeah, if you got um, any questions for us, go ahead and fire them off, man. We want you to be successful in your yeah. endeavors into the GM land. No, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on. Um, I've listened to every episode. And so coming on, um, it was it's like a viewer being able to actually ask my community. It's funny. I tell myself every week, I need to go on that email <laughs> and send it. I, I finally put it into my phone to send you guys an email. I've never sent a question in. And I'm like, I listen every week. I probably would have had one pick. So here's here's the one for this session. I'm really right now. My I'm, I'm trying to really facilitate this improv and this idea that you know let's create this story in this world together. In fact, when we get to Fandolin, I've created a few of the locations, but I'm not going to have a map. And we're going to create some of the locations as we go, depending on how the session goes. I might even let a player just come up with um, one of the like the store, you know, what the player, you know, the name of the. And I'm really excited. And through that, I've created a few um, places that were not in Fandolin before or changed. Uh, like the, the Shrine of Luck is now like this temple for performing arts kind of um, that have all really, I think, are going to be great things for the characters. Um, so my question is, one of my players and I have had these great conversations about improv. And I, met, I thought, man, I would love to have these conversations with all my players because it's not just on me. It's on both of us. And really, I would prefer them to create the world. I want to facilitate that. But I would really prefer this to come out of their imagination within, you know, the parameters of certain things. But I'm like, how do I approach people with that? And maybe this isn't necessarily DM. This is even just a people question, a communication question. But but how would you guys go about that? Would it be a one-on-one, you know, a text, uh, pulling someone aside, having it in session? I just to get your thoughts on to facilitate that. And if you think, I, I assume that's a worthwhile endeavor. But any any thoughts on really the improv? You know, I'll give you one that I've already had great success with uh, back in the fourth edition game that I continue to talk about because me and the other. Let it go, Matt. Let it, it go. Is. It's like an old girl. But um, no, she's gone. She's gone. In that in that game, uh, <laughs> another person that has been on this podcast, Liam, that I've talked about plenty of times. Liam and I, we worked together quite well when it came to improv stuff. And I used to do that a lot too. What you were talking about, Chris, when they go into a town, one of the first things I'd ask them is, "Have you ever made your travels into this town?" Some of them would say yes. Some, you know, quite a bit of them would say no. And Liam was one that was always that thought about it at first he was just like it's pretty big i would never be in this place oh it's a smaller village yeah i probably have come around here and there was one that i asked him you know hey have you guys ever been in this area everyone except for liam said no and then i said liam what is one of the spots here that really left an impression on you and he talked about uh it was pretty much a tavern but it was more of like a game spot where they had um you go there and you would play games. You'd throw darts. You'd play, you know, some sort of drinking game or you would play dice. You would play cards, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, all right, well, cool. And as the the uh, the party came into town, I had somebody from that area uh, stand out there. And I told him he does a double take at your group. As he looks and he stares at Oren, which was Liam's character, 
he gets up and he starts walking as he just starts yelling, you fucking cheat. You're a goddamn cheat and you owe me money. As an altercation started happening and Liam played right into it. He fucking loved that shit whenever you started doing something like that. Because as soon as you threw something at him, he was that sort of improv dude that wanted to just dive head in to it. So maybe try something like that where you just ask him, hey, have your characters ever been in this area before? And maybe just create a memory or just have uh, a shopkeep that remembered them from before. Like maybe they sold them their first sword. Something like that can always be really good. And it brings up a, a really good flavor for the group. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. I, I wrote it down as you, as you were talking. Uh, I'm I'm gonna give that a try. Um, what's what's crazy about that too is as you're telling me that I go, man, that make that I'm imagining that it makes the world mm-hmm. so much more lived in. And that's funny. It's improv, and it, it's weird how improv actually makes it more. You would think this detailed story and everything that can and consistency. And it's like, no, if you're you know, you might have mess ups every once in a while, but the the more that you do improv, it seems like the better you'll get, the less mistakes you'll make as far as continuity mm-hmm. and that it makes the world feel more lived in. This kind of harkens back to our, uh, a, a few different podcasts we've had, most notably the one on giving permission. So kudos to you for acknowledging that your players want a certain style of game and fostering that. So the main thing is their questions in order to foster the kind of dynamic and encourage the sort of play that you want, you need to sit uh, maybe even with a pad and paper and just ask yourself some questions about what's, where do you want flexibility and improv? And where do you want to establish a specific world? What are those parameters? What style of game do you want? And then once you go, okay, I want this style of game. I want these to be the kind of hard parameters. Then everything else outside that, if it's improv heavy, is flexible. And you can give the players latitude to kind of forge it. No, I, I'm sure the if you're playing D&D, the players don't want you to outsource all of your work to them. Like, well, well you know, you come into mm-hmm. a town and what does the town look like? Well, it's populated with people. You know, it's a hustle and bustle. It's like, okay, great. Um, so, uh, you know, you uh, you decide you're going to go into the square and, uh, you know, what does <laughs> the square look like? It's like, isn't, this, isn't it your fucking job? Like, come on, man. So you need to establish what are what are the important pillar things that are driving your plot. And what are the things that are driving the plot? And how important are the things that are not driving the plot to the texture of the world? And maybe if they're not, then you can allow the players some flexibility to weave them themselves. And maybe you know these players a little bit and you know their sensibilities, but it sounds like maybe the rogue character, you don't really have a good sense as much. I, I, am, a, I am a fan of providing those incentives and that permission within the game. I don't think it's often necessary to kind of take a player aside and sit them down unless unless they've expressed an interest in that. You're the kind of player, Chris, that loves to talk about the game outside of the game. Uh, Mike and I basically never talk about Dungeons and Dragons unless we're playing Dungeons and Dragons. We do not talk about it. I even try to bring it up occasionally, like, oh yeah, like things are getting kind of just like, yeah, <laughs> <I'm pretty> good. 
<laughs> he doesn't want to talk about it. And I think sometimes doing that can give the player uh, a sense that things are a little more serious than they are. Like, you know, you're an actor in a play and you're taking it and, and, and you don't want to like put that amount of like pressure and seriousness on a thing that's fairly lighthearted when you can probably handle it in the game. So try to think of ways to incentivize the sort of behavior that you want. Once you sit down and go, okay, here are the things that are, that are concrete. Here are the things that I am building the world out that will happen in the plot and that are really rigid and they're not, they're not up for improvisation and role playing, right? Like they're, they're concrete things that, that I need to have the structure of the plot and then everything outside that. And once you establish, okay, these are the, the realms in which uh, I'm going to allow improv and the players to kind of craft their own world, then go, what sort of style, what sort of thing is this? Is this more of a kind of um, mysterious, kind of arcane, Harry Potter kind of uh, mystery? Is it a more like, you know, swashbuckling theme, sword and sorcery, action oriented? And in what ways can I, once you establish that theme, in what ways can I incentivize the players to play along with that and what ways can i really tease out the best information from them and that might just be how you phrase things like you were talking you know what happens is almost too open-ended of a question but you can narrow the parameters where you allow for improv for the players to say yes to your proposition but what you've done is you've narrowed it down to four or five options that they can kind of run with and they can choose among those options. Sometimes too open of a world. Uh, we discussed this in the railroading episode. Too open of a world can leave the players with analysis paralysis. And, and you have to know the sensibilities of your players. One player might actually thrive on a real open-ended question of just simply, you know, you go into a bar and something happens. What is it? You know, but another player might need, you come in and you, you know, you've been here before. You're telling them something. You've been here before. And um, you have a pre-existing relationship with one of the barmaids. You're giving them another concrete pre-existing information, a barmaid. What is that relationship? That's a more pointed question, and that's all going to depend on the players. Um, I'm a big fan of pulling in uh, what I call ghosts of the past is, as a way to inform not the improv, but the uh, emotional mindset. I'm of the opinion that if you can get your players invested in an emotional state of being for their characters, then whether it's through directly just telling them how they feel, which is a little more railroady, prodding them to kind of stir up the bottom of the fish tank a little bit, or in some way provide some emotional context, then that will spur the action in a, in a way that you find satisfying in an improv way. It can be, really really satisfying i've never really been a strong improv guy um but if you know these players and you know that that suits their sensibilities try to think about how you can kind of incorporate some ghosts of the past to give even the simple act of walking into an inn to get a room some context if you allow the characters to talk about their state of mind and their feelings just as much as they 
talk about what it is that they're doing, then those things should color. A cautionary tale here to our caution here to not allow them to just kind of exist in that cerebral world where all they're doing is talking about their state of mind. Like, okay, try, you know, if someone's talking about their state of mind a lot or whatever, their, their feelings, they're like, okay, so what are you doing about it? Like, how does this cause you to act in a certain way? Because, you know, sure, you know, you're like, okay, I just kind of sigh and I gruffly like look at the ground or whatever. Like, well, that doesn't really give me a lot of insight into what's going on in your head. Maybe I could use more, but sometimes players will, especially like actors and improv types will, you know, talk around things a little bit. So that's kind of a caveat, but I, I would say that those tactics and that uh, is kind of an, one, one is an exercise for you to think about how you want to do things so that when the game takes off, you can make sure that there are these key components in place that allow it to navigate along the path that you want. How wide is that path? How much flexibility is there? Things that do and don't matter. Do you want to give the players some sense of control over major plot points? I mean, maybe you do. That could be really fun if your players are super creative and, and really like to forge their own path. Um, but if not, if they're looking for a more straightforward narrative, then maybe it, maybe narrow the path in a little bit. It's it's all that widening and narrowing of the path of how much autonomy they have to kind of move move down this path that really governs the level of fun. And and without unless you know these players really well, I, I that can be a little tricky sometimes. All right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this episode, and I want to thank you, Chris. Please come back whenever you want. You're always welcome on the show. As well as, uh, I do want to say that a long time ago, Dave was on another podcast, long, long time ago. And I had always talked about doing a podcast myself. And he kept saying, do it. Just do it. Just do it. And then there was one day I was like, I want to do it with somebody else. And he said, you know, fuck it. I'll do it with you. How about that? And I said, all right, cool. I want to do it about role-playing games. He said, all right, that could be fun. I don't know how far we'll get. Well, guess what? That is one year ago today. We published our very first episode of Inside the GM Studio. Oh. And I think we still got some wow. stuff to talk about. Yeah. Oh, we got so I think that's going to take us out for this episode. So if anybody out there, if you guys want to talk about it, be like, hey, man, bring back Chris. That dude, he's got a fucking sexy voice. I want to hear that shit more. Send it on to inside the GM studio at gmail.com and let us know what we should talk about and if we should bring Chris back, which I hope he does at some point. But uh, for this week, for Inside the GM Studio, I've been your host, Matt. I am David. Happy anniversary, buddy, by the way. Congratulations, guys. Towering. Towering. A good night. <laughs>